Welcome to the PL Surge podcast, where we highlight and explore CMCSS professional learning journeys. I'm your host, Amanda Nix, and I'll be joined again this season by Brian Hampton. Brian, I'm excited to kick off the second season with our first guest, Levi White from the K-12 Virtual School. For a little background, this year, CMCSS opened the K-12 Virtual School, where they're currently serving over 1,000 students. This is such a great opportunity for our district, our students, and their families. Our guest today, Levi White, is part of the extraordinary team at the school. Welcome, Levi. Tell us a little bit about yourself. So this is my 15th year teaching. Uh, 10 years have been in CMCSS where I've taught second and third grade. And then before that, I taught in Arkansas for five years. I taught in kindergarten, second and third grade when I taught in Arkansas. And I am actually a non-traditional teacher, which means that my degree is in something other than teaching. So originally my degree is in psychology with graduate work in marriage and family counseling. And then I went through a two-year non-traditional program to get certified to teach. And then after teaching for three years, got my master's degree in educational theory and practice. Wow, that's lots of experience. So last year, you taught virtually. Talk to us about that experience. Um, at the beginning of the year, um, there were tech issues were the main thing. And once we got the tech issues ironed out, I absolutely loved it. Now, one thing that was beneficial for me was before being at the virtual school, I was at Cumberland Heights Elementary, and that's a very tech-heavy school that we always prioritize technology there. And so we had, even in second grade, we had a computer lab where my students could be one-to-one as long as I checked out the lab. And so a lot of the programs and experiences that I used with my traditional class back in 2019 having that one-to-one ratio with my second graders translated very well into virtual. The experience with Nearpod and ClassKick and Seesaw, all of those really helped to make that transition a lot smoother. This year, you're teaching at the virtual school. What grade are you teaching? Second grade. I was actually curious if you were, if you would be working with multiple grade levels or if you would focus on a specific grade. So the way that it works at the virtual school was last year, we had one virtual second grade teacher at, at the school. And being at the virtual school, we actually have a team of four second grade teachers. And so it's just like a normal school where we have a team of people that collaborate. Sometimes I take students from another class for RTI and my kids go to another teacher for RTI and we're able to collaborate and really work with the whole grade level, we've got about 80 second graders at the virtual school. What was the process like for applying to be a teacher at K-12 virtual school? It was a normal transfer request, but the interview, you have to be able to not only demonstrate good teaching practices, but how you would do those good teaching practices in the virtual environment. How do you have accountability when you can't stand over their shoulder? How do you have accountability when their parents could be helping them with their assignments? How do you data track when you're virtual? And so you still have all these good teaching practices that are good for any teacher, but you have to translate that to the virtual environment. And one way you look at that, the first questions you ask is, what is impossible for a virtual teacher to do? And then you say, what is impossible for a traditional teacher to do that a virtual teacher can do? And when you really look at it, the list of things that are impossible for a virtual teacher to do as far as academics 
isn't that long. Um, no, I can't put manipulatives in their hand on the spot. No, I can't say hand me your paper, but virtually I can. Virtually I can give them manipulatives. I can look at their paper. I can see every word they're typing as they're typing it using things like Classic and Nearpod. And so that process of explaining how you would do those things in the virtual environment just takes a shift in your thinking. I had a conversation with the academic coaches yesterday. How do we do Kagan strategies virtually? How do we do that cooperative learning element and get those kids talking and working with each other in the virtual environment? Since this is so new, one of the most fun things about being a part of it is, is figuring it out and how to make it better all the time. So what are some of those strategies that you find effective in your classroom? How to use the, the breakout rooms. And so today we tried Rally Coach, which is a Kagan strategy where in a traditional classroom, one student would stand behind the other student. And as the student would solve the problem, the other student would coach them as they do it. And then they switch roles. Today we did that virtually by putting in them in breakout rooms with pairs. And then they had their turn. One person was the teacher, one person the student. And they went through the math problem and they held up their boards as the teacher role took them through it step by step. And so you can still do those rally coach, the number heads together. You just have to model how it looks virtually, but it's still possible to do. When it comes to collaboration, do you spend a lot of time collaborating virtually with your colleagues or is it still good to get together face-to-face -to -face and collaborate that way? We've done both. Sometimes we'll choose to meet virtually because we have all of the things on our screen and we want everyone to see it at the same time and especially to provide input at the same time. And then other times we'll get in the room together. It depends on what we're discussing and what the purpose of that meeting is. So that's something um, at the beginning of each year, all those beginning of the year things, there's a lot of collaborative planning and uh, just a lot of stuff that goes into the first day. We were wondering what, what are beginning of your preparations? How do they differ from a traditional uh, brick and mortar school? Um, it differs a lot in the delivery. And so when you're preparing materials, you're not going to make copies of anything and pass it out. Everything has to be digital. But not only is it digital, it's what platform do I want to push this out with? Is this a class kick thing? Is this a Nearpod thing? Is this a Google Slides thing? And so you have to think about the engagement piece of it. You're always thinking about the engagement piece and the accountability piece. If I use Nearpod, I can see them all at the same time. I get to control when their slides move. I can set the pacing of that lesson and then I can stop and then switch the document camera for visualizations. And so it has to be so planned out in your delivery, in your engagement, in your checks for understanding. But when they all have that computer and they're so used to it, and these kids this year are so much more proficient with the computers that they are able to switch from a Nearpod to a Google form to the visualizer very rapidly. And so your preparation involves a tremendous amount of what is the best delivery system for this, whereas traditional, it might be a little bit more default. So walk us through what a typical day would look like for you. So beginning to end, how does your day go? So when I get here in the morning, the first thing is to, you have to open up your computer and then open up every slide that you're going to use that day and, or every tab that you're going to use that day. And so pretty much in your Google Chrome, you can see 
the progression of my whole day based on the tabs that are open on the screen. The kids come in at 7.45. We do our read aloud in the morning, Monday through Thursday. And then on Friday, I play songs for the kids just like I would my traditional students. Then we do our phonics block, then our ELA block. Um, and then they get to take a break for 15 minutes between the ELA block and the math block. And then we go to the math block and then they take a break. In that break, some days they have virtual PE class now and they have virtual guidance. And so they're getting, they're starting to get more of those special, special services. And then we come back, we do our small groups and then RTI at the end of the day, but it's a, it's a jam packed day. Well, the amount of organization, though, to be prepared to do that virtually, that was definitely like a shift, I'm sure. Another question that came to mind, you were talking about um, engagement strategies. I'm also curious, what do you do to build relationships with your students virtually? So one of the things that I've always felt is it starts with your classroom. And so my room is superheroes. It's always been superheroes. So the first thing that I want to do is build the, those commonalities, where are those commonalities? And in the traditional room, they could walk in my room and they could pretty much tell everything about me just by looking around the room. But virtually, you have to present it a little bit differently. And so it starts with your room and your environment and building and intentionally finding those commonalities with those students. The other part of it is their parents and their parents are there. And so that's the biggest difference between virtual and traditional is you're not just teaching kids, you're teaching their parents at the same time for some of them. And so you have to engage them in conversation. You have to give them opportunities to build relationships with each other. You have to give them the opportunity to get to know you. And one of the ways that I do that is random story time as something comes up and it makes me think of some a personal story to be deliberate about sharing those personal stories getting those personal stories from them i think that your read aloud that you do in the morning and the setting the expectation that reading is still supposed to be fun and for entertainment and it's it's a lot of the little things but the communication in virtual is so dense that i am talking to parents all the time and so they're there in front of you they're there on your class dojo on your phone the kids are there and you have to be intentional about giving them the opportunities to discuss their personal lives like you would in a normal classroom and you have to make it fun so what are some of those fun things that you're doing so in in my room uh, we still do projects we still do lunch bunch um, we joke around we have a good time um, one of the things that, you know, when someone asked me, you know, how do you do it? It's like, well, as far as the energy that it takes to be virtual and keep them engaged, it's, I teach as if I'm hosting a game show. I mean, it is that exciting. You got an answer right. You might as well just want a car. Um, and that's the way that it should be. Um, and, and you have to have that, that energy. And so it has to be fun um, to take the time to share my interests with them. Um, and so I get to play guitar for them in on Friday mornings. I have to go out in the hallway and find a quiet spot because I'm in a room with 15 other people and they don't want to hear that. And like I said, the projects, we did a Lego Masters project. That was a tremendous amount of fun that they did on their own with their families. And to just give them opportunities. Um, we still go on field trips. 
my, the kids and parents and families in my class, I can't say enough good things about them. Um, we scheduled a field trip to the Buffalo Build Wild West Center in Cody, Wyoming. And they got on at five o'clock at night to go on a field trip to Wyoming. And we can do those sort of wow. things. That's great. Um, and it was, and it's fantastic. So you've, you've talked about being in a room with 15 other teachers. Talk to us about the setup of the K through 12 virtual school. So right now we're at the Emanuel Family Life Center and we've got two stories. And so a lot of us, some of us are in a room with a lot of people, which I'm in, and we have pretty much cubicles right now. But it's, it's hilarious because when we got here on the first day, it felt very much like college orientation day. You know, everyone's moving into the dorm, everyone's packing up their stuff, but you're also in here with a bunch of teachers. And so we took all these drywall walls and everyone created a classroom out of it. And so, yes, we're in a room with 15 uh, other people. And then there's other offices that were turned into rooms. So there's three in some spaces and 16 is the biggest, but because they're all teachers, especially the elementary teachers, um, you've got flowers in a Mickey Mouse room and a, and a, mine's the superhero room. And so you still get to see everyone's personality in their different spaces that they've created for themselves and for their students. Our listeners can't see it, but he's surrounded by uh, superhero posters. And so I think that is super cool in his superhero room. So, <laughs> so I, I was thinking earlier when you were talking about bringing that energy to your students, teaching can really be exhausting just because you're putting so much energy out there. You're just giving all your energy to your students. How, how is that different um, when you are trying to, to share that energy virtually versus being in a classroom? is part of, part of my question. And now that I know that you're there with lots of other teachers, do you find that there's bleed over in the energy sort of, uh, you know, you hear someone getting really excited about something and does that kind of feed into what you're teaching and how you're teaching it? So it is very interesting to be able to hear people teach so clearly now. I told one of the fifth grade teachers, I've learned more about corn this year than I've ever wanted to know about corn <laughs> in my whole life. And she's like, well, good, because we've got two more weeks of it. Um, and the, the energy is definitely contagious. And it was awesome on the first day when we all came in this room, everyone said the same thing. I'm so loud when I teach, um, because there's so much energy and, and it's true where there's, there's a lot of loud teachers in here, but once you get the headsets on, um, you get really focused on what it is that you're doing. What was the other part of the question? Just the energy that you're putting out there for your students. Do you feel more exhausted at the end of the day? Do you feel, is it just different? It's just different um, because you're not having to deal with some of the behavior stuff that really just wears you down. It's more of a, as if you did a show, it's more of a performance. And so that exhaustion is very similar. I mean, it's go, 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 go. And then you get to lunch and it's like, oh my goodness, there's kind of a letdown. Um, just like if you're doing sports and you're in game mode, and once the game is over, there's like an adrenaline letdown. And that, that'll hit you right on the drive home a lot of times. What have been some of your favorite teaching moments so far this school year? So this school year, the, the field trip to Wyoming, that was cool. The, the fact that they were willing able to get on at, at their own time in the evening, because that's when it was available. That was a really neat experience for the kids. And one of the cool things about virtual is it wasn't just my students. It was my students and their siblings and their parents 
and they all got to do it together. I love projects. And so whenever I can get a project in there, um, those are always my favorite things. And we did a Lego Masters project based on the Lego Masters TV show where they give contestants a challenge to build something out of Legos and then they judge it. And so we built, I had them build Lego habitats. Um, so I want you to build a Lego habitat and then build an animal and explain to me in a video how this habitat meets the needs of this animal. And it was awesome to see the video recordings that came in. But again, it wasn't just my students. I had students that were working with their older brothers. I had students that worked with their parents. I had students that worked with other members of their families. And I had students that did it all by themselves. And that's the biggest thing I can't stress enough about virtual school. It's you're dealing with families, not just students. And so you have an incredible resource there available to you if you utilize it which is completely different and unique from traditional teaching. I'm glad that you looped back around to that because I, I was thinking before, that's something that hadn't really occurred to me is that when you are lesson planning, you have to think about how the parents will be involved. And in some ways you want the parents to be involved. You don't want to be involved too much because that will develop learned helplessness. Um, and so you have to balance that and you have to have the relationship with the parents to say, hey, I need you to let them struggle. I need you to give them that wait time. You also have to look at it as in, if I had an educational assistant for a one-on-one -on -one for every single one of my students, how would I train them? And that's the way you have to look at it is I don't have parents in the room. I've got EAs in the room. And so one of the first things I did after the, I think it was about the second week of school is I said, to my families, hey, I want you on. And I taught the parents that day. Um, here are some things that you can do to help your kids. Here are some resources that you can use to help your children. This is what helping looks like. This is what enabling looks like. And if you're not there at all, that doesn't help either. And so it, it's an incredible resource. Most parents, traditional or virtual, they want to help their kids. They just don't know how. And so when you explain to them, well, when they ask you, what's this word? Don't tell them the word. Say, what sounds do you hear? Um, what do you see? What letters do you see? What letters do those sounds make? Okay, I see a vowel team here. What sound does that make? Um, we had a fantastic training this summer about sounds first phonics instruction and you have to make it accessible for the parents to understand. I know that the parents are there, so I'll explain what I'm doing and why I am doing it for their benefit and for the kids' benefit. So we're hearing a lot about our students being behind. Talk to us about the growth that you're seeing for your students this year. And then you spoke about data tracking. So how are you measuring student growth virtually? The, the data that we use is very similar to the data that we would also use in the traditional setting. With virtual, you just have more of it because everything is recorded. Every assignment is recorded on Seesaw that they do, on Canvas, which is another platform that we use. And I can go back and access that all the time and look at their standards over the whole year all the time. In addition to the normal fluency measures, the progress monitoring that we do for our response to intervention. And so I can pretty much pinpoint where the kids are 
and give evidence of that almost at any point. But as far as the major data trackers, the fluency, the words per minute, the performances based on each standard um, is very similar to traditional, but we also have all the Nearpod data, the Blookit data, the Seesaw data. It's just more of it. Do you feel like you're seeing the same type of student growth um, at this point in the year as you would have in a traditional school? I can only speak to my specific group of kids. Um, the specific group of kids that I have right now are growing at a tremendous rate. But I can't attribute that necessarily to being virtual as opposed to we've the kids that I have now, I don't think have had a year of school that have been unaffected by COVID. And so you have to ask, okay, yes, there is a gap. This group came in a little bit lower. What's the cause of that gap? Is it lack of experience or lack of exposure? Is it, you know, where is that gap coming from? And in reading the, the phonics instructions that we're doing and the emphasis on phonics is helping us make up a lot of growth in the their fluency, which was a little bit behind. In math, math virtually, in this is my opinion and my experience, has been more effective than traditional. And so we're seeing very, very high scores and proficiencies in math, excellent growth in the reading. And so I'm seeing great gains, um, but there's a lot of things that contribute to those gains. Absolutely. So thinking about that, what have been some of the challenges of uh, teaching virtually? So writing is a challenge virtually, um, especially going through the whole writing process, because your options are you can have them type on a program um, or you can have them write on a piece of paper and do different steps of the way. So writing I would say writing instruction virtually is the most difficult. The other challenges you have virtually are the same as that you would have in traditional in the sense of the amount of parental support. Um, if you're having a student with a tech issue and there's no one there to help, that's very, very difficult. And that takes a lot of time. You also have some parents that help too much. And that's also a challenge as well because it's hard to assess accurately when you don't know what's coming from them. But that, that falls on me to set those expectations and to teach those expectations. And so I don't think there's anything that's unmanageable. It's just, I think we can always figure out how to do it a little bit better. There's so many things there that I could see as goals. I'm curious, what are your goals that you have set or some of your goals that you have set for yourself and for your students this year? So my academic goals are to fill in those gaps. Um, I started the year with nine kids in RTI which is a very large portion of a 21 student class, I want to get those kids back in tier one. And so I want each of my kids, no matter where they are, to grow. And so there, there's some gaps. I want to catch them up because I've taught third grade. I know what third grade's like. I want to make sure that they're ready to the best of my ability. The other part of my personal goals is just because we're virtual, doesn't mean you don't get to have an experience. I want my kids to have an experience. I think the best question a teacher can ask is, would I want to be in my class? Or would I want my own children in my class? And if your class is not fun and engaging, then the answer is no. 
And so my goals are to still give them an experience to take them on field trips, even if it's virtually, they're going to remember going to Yellowstone. That was cool. Virtual, I don't think we've even scratched the surface of what this could be. Um, and that's why I wanted to come here is it gives me an opportunity to be creative. And so when you hear the excitement about this school and this program and what it does and what it could be, that's genuine excitement. So my goals are to get better at this, help everyone at my school get better at this, um, understand what the limitations of virtual are and be a part of the creative body that comes up with solutions that overcome some of those virtual things. How can we do writing better virtually? What are some tools technology-wise that we haven't even scratched the surface of yet? The, the amount of potential in this school and in this way of teaching is tremendous. So what would you say to parents or students who are interested in the K-12 virtual school, but they're concerned that the education might not be as strong as it is in our traditional classrooms? I would say there's no data to support that whatsoever. And my data shows that um, my kids, especially in math, are, are doing extremely well and that this program and this school is extremely effective. It's not for everybody. That's, that's the main thing. Everyone has a different learning style and a different learning environment. But if you want this to be successful, um, the teachers here are doing their jobs. Um, and so you're not going to get bad instruction, but it is a partnership with the families. And so the amount of work that we put into it is tremendous. And so the results, we're going to get those results. And it looks different, but it is in some areas more effective. Um, and in some areas, it's just different. And so uh, it's not for everybody. Um, but for the ones that it, it is for, it makes a huge difference. Um, one of the comments that we've heard is this option has been a godsend for my family. And that's not true for every family. But for some families, this option enables their kid to learn in a quiet environment without distractions, with a parent that is being taught how to teach their kids. They're able to see what is their child is being taught every second of every lesson. And they know what they're learning. The communication is unparalleled. It is such an incredible thing to say, okay, you guys, you're done. Go, hey, so-and-so, go get your mom. Let me show her something real quick. That access to the parent, it's so valuable. I'm a little embarrassed to admit that I hadn't really fully appreciated that. But as you were talking about math standards, that's one of those things that you know, all parents everywhere are sort of, when it comes to teaching their kids math, they're kind of like, ugh, because they were taught a certain way and their, their kids might learn a different process. And so this way with everyone on the same page and, you know, they're getting the same techniques, the same strategies laid down again and again from both the teacher and the parents, I can see that. I can see how that would be really powerful. The first time I teach base tens and adding and subtracting with regrouping with base tens, I messaged my parents. I said, get on. We're going to do this today, all of us, because they haven't seen it. They weren't taught that way. 
The other thing that's incredibly effective is the first time that we go through the whole writing process um, and for them to see this is what a second grader is being expected to do or whatever grade it is for them to understand and see those expectations makes a huge, huge difference. And so even if traditional, I always said, I wish we could bring the parents into the building and say, hey, this is what the expectations are. Um, when I show them a sample test and say, this is the expectation. This is what they're expected to read on their own. These are the types of questions they're expected to be able to answer. And you get a lot of aha moments in those lessons, but you can't invite parents all into the normal classroom, but you can virtually. So we're hearing all these great things happening in your classroom. Um, give us a shout out. What are some of the other great things happening at the K through 12 virtual school and the grades besides second grade? Well, in I, I really get to hear the fifth grade a lot. And so the way that they teach and the enthusiasm that they teach, especially the history lessons, I've learned more about history. And the other things, some of the other teachers have utilized some different programs um, and have taught me those programs. And so what I get to hear and see from the other teachers is that same enthusiasm. Um, it looks different, but we've had other teachers go on other virtual field trips. We've had our tech coaches um, develop virtual field trips for us. Um, our PE teacher, I can't say enough about her, um, got a grant and all of our kids got PE supplies. And so when they do PE, they get to get out their jump rope. They get to get out their hula hoops and their balloons and their shirts. And, and she did a wonderful job securing those resources for us and, and the kids and being able to get those to the kids. And so we've just had a lot of people doing a lot of amazing things. So exciting. I told Brian this morning, the, my favorite part of this podcast is hearing the stories of teachers and employees throughout the district and your story today. I mean, it has blown me away. And we are so appreciative of you joining us and just giving us a glimpse into what your day looks like and the amazing things you're doing with your students. Uh, it has been great. You, you were mentioning uh, parents having some aha moments and I I know it's for real because I've had multiple aha moments just in the short time that we've uh, been having this conversation. So thank you so much for sharing your time. So you guys too, thank you. Thank you again to our guest, Levi White, for joining us today. And thank you to our listeners. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to follow us. The PL Surge podcast is powered by your learning journey. If you have a professional learning story you'd like to share, you can reach us at plsurge at cmcss.net. This podcast is produced and edited by the professional learning team in the Clarksville-Montgomery County School System. In addition to today's guest, we would also like to give special thanks for this episode to Erin Hedrick, who is the principal at the K-12 Virtual School, and also to her incredible team of teachers and support staff. Until next time, keep learning and keep journeying.